We are in Ephesians 4, 25 to 32. We'll be finishing off the chapter. Before we do that, we'll just go back and read over 17 through 24. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling had given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. Two weeks ago we went over this part that talks about the darkening process. Last week we looked at verse 20, But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conduct the old man which grows corrupt, according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So last week we were looking at the enlightened process. Paul tells us that learning is doing. What you practice, you learn. What you yield to, you will hear more of. And what you sit before will be your teacher. And the fruits will be of light or of darkness. It depends on whether you are of righteousness or unrighteousness. So with that, he says in verse 25, Therefore, of course, based on all of that, Therefore, since we have put on the new man, Therefore, since we have put off the old conduct and have been renewed in the attitude of our mind. Those things are important. On the basis of those that we can continue on with the rest. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Now, we can do the things that he lists here as long as we have done the other part first. Trying to do these things that he's listing here without the previous steps is basically going into a spiritual battle using flesh weapons. Not going to help us a whole lot. But he says, putting away lying. A lie is attractive as it seems to have less consequences than the truth. That's the attraction for most people. We don't want to speak the truth. Adam in the garden didn't want to speak the truth to the Lord when he appeared. And there's either... uh, covering it up or blaming someone else. So when a lie is attractive, it seems like it has less consequences than the truth. Now, I didn't have room for this in your outline, but a lie is deliberately concealing the truth by declaring a falsehood as truth in its place. That is a lie. A lot of times people are calling things lies that are not lies. A mistake is not a lie. Being confused and speaking what you thought was right, that's not a lie. A lie is deliberately concealing the truth by declaring a falsehood as truth in its place. We are taking what is false, what I know to be false, and setting it in the place of truth. That is what a lie is. Not declaring the truth to those who are not worthy of it is not a lie. One is made not worthy by a few things. First off, how I have handled similar truths in the past. Have you ever had people that have not handled truth real well that you gave them? Maybe they became people that couldn't be trusted. (coughs) So how you've handled truths in the past will determine whether you are worthy of more truth to come. Here's another one. Deciding on my own how I will use these truths even though it goes against what I said I would do. Or the one sharing asked of me. You know, people come to you and they say, I want to share something with you, but please don't tell anyone. If you agree to that, then you are bound by it. You can't change your mind later on. Now, I don't tell you that you should always agree to that. You should sometimes uh, let people know, well, 
If you tell me something and I feel that someone's going to be harmed, I will not keep it to myself. So you may want to be up front with them on, on that sort of thing. They may say, no, no, no one's coming to any harm in that. Okay? Well, if you feel pretty confident about that, go ahead and, and share it with me. You want people to be able to, to speak things to you without the fear that it's going to be spoken elsewhere. But you also don't want to be bound into a situation uh, because they uh, use deceit on you. Sometimes people deceive you into getting you to agree to something and then tell you something. And Well, now you told me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so be careful with what you get yourself bound into. But if, if somebody does come or you know some truth and someone comes to you and says, tell me what's going on there, you are not bound to tell them what is going on there. And withholding it is not declaring a falsehood. What is a falsehood is substituting something else in its place. That's what you've got to be careful of. You don't want to be going through and doing that. There are sometimes you just tell people, if I did know something on that, what, on what basis am I sharing it with you? You don't have to reveal that you know anything. Or, uh, you know, that just gets your curiosity up. So just be real careful with your words. Don't feel pressure that you have to reveal anything. Sometimes it's just the, the truth that we know from God's Word. Just because you know a truth from God's Word does not mean the person you're speaking to needs to hear it. You've got to share those truths that God tells you to. He may be saying, you know what? You're not ready for this one. Hold back on this. You don't need to be sharing everything. You don't need to be doing all the, all that. So sometimes just hold back on it. But we can make ourselves not worthy of the truth. Jesus had a lot of people in his day that were not worthy of the truth. And he didn't share it with them. And we can certainly follow that example. Another way that we become unworthy is using past reveals in an embarrassing or harmful way. Have you ever had people that are involved in some of the um, close things, details of your life, and they seem to like to share them at a time that's going to be embarrassing to you or harmful to you? Now, no matter how close those people are, and generally it's relatives that will do this to you. Relatives are usually the ones that are that closely involved with your life that when they see something, they just seem to wait until they find an opportune time to embarrass you and to, and to bring it out. You know, we, you watch the, the movies, they put it in all the time. The boy brings the girl home. Then the mom and dad start sharing naked pictures when they were kids or telling embarrassing stories. Well, what's the purpose of those things? If your purpose is just to embarrass people, then you are building a wall between you and that person, and they are not likely to share things with you again. So if you you feel hurt, well, so-and-so, they don't share those things with me anymore. Well, perhaps you have used them in the past in a harmful way, or you've used them in an embarrassing way, and they just don't want you to have that info. If we are close to people, it is our goal to protect them and to help them, not to embarrass them. So if we choose to embarrass people, we will pay the results of those things. So using past reveals in an embarrassing or a harmful way, and another way that we can be made unworthy is to bestowing truths on those who would not understand or rightly use them. God will sometimes share with us the things of His Word, but if we don't know how to handle them and we don't know who to share them with, then He sometimes has to pull back. Well, I would share these things with you, but you apparently don't understand who to share them with and who not to share them with. So how we handle past truths will determine what, what gets revealed to us later on. But lying is not withholding truth it is deliberately putting a falsehood in its place and representing it as truth and that's what that is talking about with lying it's not believing something to be true and stating it 
I've heard people say, repeat something they thought was true, and they found out it wasn't. Oh, I told a lie. No, you didn't tell a lie. You were mistaken. You told something that was untrue, but you didn't know it to be untrue. So understand that a lie, when he's talking about, don't be lying, get out of that. The lying that he's talking about is people who will represent something that is false. They know it to be false as something that is true. You don't need any more of an example than our news media. They know the inside parts of the story. They know things that are going on, but they represent something completely different. That's an intentional lie. God doesn't like it when people lie. He says, put away lying. He actually is a little bit stronger than that in the Greek. He's basically saying, stop lying. Hebrews 12, verse 1 says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Some people have gotten so used to lying that they seem to default to it even when they don't need to. We have to make sure we don't, don't get into that part. And of course, if you tell one lie, generally you have to tell another lie to cover up that lie. And then you can see people get caught up in, in all sorts of things until they get so far out from the truth that um, no, one wants to, no one believes them anymore. So, there are sins that once we start falling into, they just seem to captivate us. Don't let that happen. Ephesians 4 and 26. He says, Be angry and do not sin. Now, is all anger sin? Well, God gets angry, so it can't all be sin. There's a righteous anger and there's an unrighteous anger. So, what kind of things can we be angry about? We can be angry with things that, that God gets angry at. God gets angry at people who hurt others, who lead innocent people astray, who take advantage of people for their own gain. And the list goes on and on. The things that get God, God angry, they can get us angry. It's okay. If I see something that's going on, to get angry at it, because God gets angry. When we see rampant sin in the world and we get angry, well, God gets angry. So we can do that. But he says, be angry and do not sin. So apparently I can be angry and not sin or I can be angry and sin. But Paul doesn't list the sins, does he? It might be because the sins are the same as any other sins. Anger, <clears throat> anger that leads you to think wrong, judge wrong, act wrong, speak wrong, believe wrong, or just become unforgiving or bitter. These are just starters, but if I have anger, and anger can lead you to these things, anger can make you think wrong about a person. Anger can make you judge a situation incorrectly. Anger can get you to act wrong. Anger can get you to speak wrong. It can get you to believe wrong. You can believe the wrong things about people because you got so moved by anger. And of course you become unforgiving because you're mad. You can become bitter. <clears throat> we are to love sinners. But we are to hate sin. Matthew 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. Now, people like to throw that out all the time, not understanding the context. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye. 
Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Nowhere in this is he telling you not to remove a speck from your brother's eye. He's telling you the first off, deal with yourself. Get yourself right. When you get yourself right, you'll see clearer to be able to deal with the speck that's in their eye. If you've got a log in your eye, you're liable to cause more damage to that person trying to remove the speck from theirs. No, you've got to take care of yourself first. Once you see clearly, you can go on over there. And you'll probably act in a much more loving way since you realize, hey, this, this was going on with me. Judge sin, not people. Judge actions, not motives. He then says, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Now, I made a note of this before. Wrath seems more directed at people. If you look in the, in the word, uh, look up this word in the Bible for wrath, or gay, it is more of a wrath directed at people. He says, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Most people have taken this and taught this in such a way that it says, <clears throat> if you have anger against someone, don't let the sun go down until you make things right with that person. How many people have ever heard it taught that way? And most people try and live up to it that way. Read the verse again. Read this part of it. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Let me ask you this question. Where is the other person mentioned? They are not. If God had mentioned the other person, and then they were involved with this, then you couldn't let the sun go down. And First off, you have no control over the sun. But you could not let the sun go down on your wrath. But if that person decides to continue on the battle, the fight, whatever it might be, you can't control the other person. If God can't control the other person, neither can you. Which person can you control? Yourself. Let not the sun go down on what? Your wrath. That means that by sunset, whether you can, you can confront that person, clear it up with that person, makes absolutely no, has, has no bearing on this verse at all. What it's talking to you about is on the inside of yourself, clear it out. Whatever it is that caused the wrath to get going, clear it out. Before the sun goes down, do what you need to do to clear it up. When you go to bed at night, don't be carrying that stuff. If you go to bed at night, you carry around all that anger, and you're angry and you're chewing over this thing, it's not going to help you. He's saying by the time you get there at night, clear it up. Now, look at the guy writing this. Paul. How many times has Paul had people mad at him? I mean, he got people so mad at him, they're ready to kill him. Do you think that before the sun went down, he went over to all those people? <laughs> And said, look, we, we, uh, we had words here today. Let's straighten this out. No. A lot of those people, they wanted to kill him. You know, at least one time they took him outside the city and stoned him. They thought he was dead. He walked back into the city, but we don't have that he approached any of them and said, hey, let's make these things right. But inside Paul, he settled it. And that's what we need to do. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. That's something we can control. And you can do that in the privacy of your own home. Now, if you want to read anything else in that in the Word, you go right on ahead and go ahead and live up to it. But the Word of God says don't add to His Word. You're going to have a hard time adding to and living up to it because the Spirit of God is going to help you to do what the Word says, not what the, you think the Word says. Galatians 6.1 says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. If you get mad at a person because of some of the things they're doing, that's a trespass, well, you need to get yourself first off in the spirit of gentleness. If you're messing with wrath, you're not going to have much of a spirit of gentleness. You've got to deal with that first. 
or you're not going to be much of a help to them. If you got mad because you saw someone overtaking in a trespass, you saw them doing something that they shouldn't be doing, and he does, he does seem to indicate that there's some responsibility that you have to go over there and fix this thing, you've got to first off take care of yourself. You've got to get rid of that because you've got to go in with a spirit of gentleness. You're angry, not very likely to be very gentle. So take care of those things first. Now the New Century Version translates these two verses this way. So you must stop telling lies. Of course, according to the way the Greek is, is done, it is something that was ongoing. Tell each other the truth because we all belong to each other in the same body. When you are angry, do not sin and be sure to stop being angry before the end of the day. Deal with what you can on, on that thing that made you wrathful. Weiss puts verse 26 this way, Be constantly angry with a righteous indignation and stop sinning. Do not allow the sun to go down upon your irritated, exasperated, embittered anger. <laughs> it's okay to be angry with a righteous indignation. But when you have that irritated, exasperated, embittered anger, don't be going to sleep with that. You need to get rid of that. Now Paul uses four examples here of how people allow themselves to yield to the old sinful nature. Because that's what he's talking about. Don't yield to the old sinful nature. You've been redeemed from that. If you go after the old sin, sin, sinful nature, if you live according to sin, you will become darkened. It will take away your understanding. You need to walk in the enlightened way, which is to put on the new man, to walk according to the new man. But he gives four examples here. These are not the only four examples. It's a letter to the saints. I assume he knew some areas they were dealing with. And he wrote about those. This is not the same form maybe for everybody. Other people, they may not be dealing with lying as much. They may not be dealing with stealing. They may not have all the issues, but they may have others. So he's pulled out four here that are unique to these guys. I'm sure there's probably other areas as well, but this four is enough to show them. He's going to use four examples of how people allow themselves to yield to the old sinful nature. If you want to say you're not yielding to the old sinful nature, he's given them four examples here. If you're doing these things, you are yielding to the old sinful nature. The first two are here, lying and anger. Lying and anger. If you give in to lying... You are giving in to the old sinful nature. You are putting on the old man. If you give in to unrighteous anger, you are putting on the old man. If you get mad just because your feelings were hurt, if you get mad just because things were made inconvenient for you, that's the old sinful nature. God doesn't get mad because you inconvenience Him. God gets angry because you're hurting other people. Because you're spreading falsehoods as truth. A number of things that are in that way. We're not going to try and make, make up all that list. But these are the first two. Lying and anger. Ephesians 4.27 He says, Nor give place to the devil. A lot is made out of this. Let's see how well all that holds up. The word here for place is the, <coughs> is the Greek word tapos. It means ground. I looked this up. You can find 92 times this word is used in the Word of God. And we are not going to go through all the Word of God and look at this. But I went through most of them. And what I found is it is constantly referring to a place, a plot of ground. The word tapas, we get our word topography from it. And that gives you an idea of what this word has. It's used of places. When it talks about uh, Golgotha, it talks about and uses the word 
the place. It's a specific point. It's a place there. That's where he was crucified. If you look at the place where he was buried, if you look at the place where he ascended, just constantly this is used. There's a place where he taught from. There's a place where he, the people gathered. All these things, they point to a place. It's a specific place. This word is used of a, not just place in general, that place. And there's a, there's a, a certain way to identify it. It didn't always mean the same place, but when Jesus would gather at a place and the people came and they gathered at the place to hear him teach or they brought their sick to the place, this word is being used and it's constantly referring to a physical, actual place. So when it uses us here, nor give place to the devil, it is talking about something specific. And using it here in this context, what he's saying is, you had an old nature. You took off the old nature, you put on the new nature. There were certain traits, there were certain things you did in the old nature. And the Word of God, Spirit of God, helped you to overcome those things and to put some of those things away so that you aren't going after those things anymore. Once I put this in your outline for you. Once you have taken ground in your conduct, conduct don't give it back. An army would take ground. We just went over the uh, anniversary of Iwo Shima and the, uh, the landing that they had done there. there they would take ground. I mean, it was a small little, little island. It took, how long was it? A little over a month to get, to get that, that taken? I think it was just a little bit over a month. It was an extremely small section of ground, but they, um, it was very important for us strategically. Um, and we lost a lot of people taking that ground. And they would cite a place. We need that mound. We need that area. We need this spot. And they would go and they would take it. Once you take it, you don't want to give up that spot. You want to hang on to it. This is what we're looking at here in the warfare that we're involved with. Once you've taken ground, don't give it back. It doesn't have the same negative effect on you when there are places in your life that you have not taken yet. They will not have the same effect, negative effect on you as places in your life that you have taken and give back. Five weeks. A little over a month. If you take something in your area and you have gotten rid of the old man, put in the new man, the devil wants to take that ground back. If you allow him to take it back, you are going to be giving him more place in your life than he had before you ever took it from him. Don't give it back to him. Don't give place to the devil. You took that spot. You gained that ground. Don't go after it. Now, I wrote this and gave you some blanks on this one. When you get into wrath towards people, you will find yourself giving ground. When I get into the area of wrath towards people, I will find that I will give up ground that I have taken. Maybe I took some ground and I'm not evil speaking the way that I was before. But I got angry. This anger rose up in me. And I began to say some things against that person. That, that's going to hurt you more than it did before when you were just freely going at this. I began to think evil things about these people. Don't give, don't give ground back. Don't give place back. You took that ground. Hang on to it. Verse uh, 28. 
you're going to have anger, make sure you keep that anger towards sin and the sinful actions they do. Don't, don't put it towards the people. Verse 28, Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Now we look at this and say, well, I, don't, I really didn't have any trouble with stealing. Well, apparently they did. <laughs> and from what I understand from some of the reading I did on this, part of their way of life involved a lot of stealing. And even though they got born again, some of them were still going back into that. And so he's basically saying to him here, stop stealing. That's the wording that is, that is used there in a lot of these things. It is something that is going on. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him <clears throat> who has need. So this third example is stealing. Basically he's saying this, quit stealing, start working. If, um, if a person goes out and steals things, they really have nothing to give. Whatever they give, it's not theirs. It didn't become theirs because they stole it. If you're going to give, if you're going to sow some things, <clears throat> you need to sow what is yours. So he's trying to get them to understand not benefiting you to go out there and steal. Go out there and work. Earn something and then take from that and give. That's a whole lot better than going out there and stealing and taking from other people. Don't be doing that. Let him who stole steal no longer but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good that he may have something to give him who has need. You're going to come upon people that have a need. Make sure that you have something in your hands that you can give them. So the quit stealing is supposed to lead to giving. I want to get you out of that spot that I don't have enough, I need to take what other people have. No, I want you to get you to, to the mentality that you understand, I can give. It doesn't matter how much I have, I can give. A person who is caught up in stealing, no matter how much they have, they have to go out and steal more. Get out of that mentality. That's old man mentality. If you follow after that, you're following after the old man. You are putting on the old man. You don't want to do that. Get rid of the stealing. Get out there and be working. And then you'll have something to go out there and give. And then he comes over here to verse 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. The fourth example here of the old nature is corrupt communication. <clears throat> corrupt. I don't know if I fit this in your outline or not. I forgot whether I was able to. Corrupt, one of the definitions I was able to find on this is putrid, rotten, corrupt, filthy, rancid speech. In this case, it's, it's talking about speech. But the word can mean all these things. There's two words that are here. Corrupt and then communication. It's not all one word. Sometimes you get all one word out of the Greek, not here. He didn't just say communication. He didn't just say speech. He said, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. The new nature is a nature of edification. It builds up others. And it leads to the imparting of grace. Corrupt communication does not lead to the imparting of grace. Is your goal to impart grace to those who speak to you? To those that you speak to? Or to make sure they feel bad for what wrongs they did? Ever known people that do that? Surely not you. <coughs> Other people. That when they've been wrong, they, they have a confrontation with you and they make sure that you are very aware that you have wronged them and that you feel poorly about it. 
That's not imparting grace. He says, don't be letting corrupt communication come out of your mouth. He didn't say justified corrupt communication. He says, don't let it come out of your mouth. Sometimes we allow the most corrupt communication to come out to those that we are closest to. Family members. But don't do it. He said, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Don't let it. He says, let here. It's something that you allow. You either allow it to happen or you say, no, it's not going to happen. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. So if you put that definition in there, let no putrid, rotten, corrupt, filthy, rancid speech come out of your mouth. And that can be not just words that we say are off-color words. They can be words that put others down. Words that make others feel poorly. Words that devalue other people. Don't let it come out of your mouth. It's best if you don't even think it. But don't let it come out of your mouth. Don't speak those things. Sometimes people, especially, you know, you get into a family situation, living in there, always together. Somebody does something to get you mad. And then we just start going with the words. He says, don't do it. He didn't put any exceptions in here. He didn't say kids are an exception. You can let the corrupt communication fly with them. No, he didn't say that. Didn't say it for spouses. Didn't say it for uncles or aunts, cousins, in-laws. Doesn't matter. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Corrupt communication is a sign that you have put on the old man and the old nature. You keep putting on the old man and the old nature, it's not going to be helpful. It's going to hurt you. You don't want to do that. You want the new man. You want the new nature. That's what you put on. Have you ever had a pair of shoes, old pair of shoes that were all wore out? I used to hear people when I was growing up and I still even hear it. Some people talk about it today. Oh, I love those sneakers. I know they're all wore out and they've got holes in them all over the place, but they're so comfortable. I never understood that. I like new sneakers. I like brand spanking new, never been worn sneakers. I'll take a brand new pair of sneakers over an old pair of sneakers any day. But especially, you know, the longer that you walk in the shoes and the, you... Uh, Get that shoe to start to bend a little bit. starts to lean inside or outside depending upon whether you pronate one way or the other. Even if you don't, even if you walk perfect and stay straight, then the stuff that the shoe's made out of begins to get compressed down and it's not quite as soft of a landing as it was before. And there's some other aspects to it that are not as good. The tread can get wore out and it's not as... Um, not, not as gripping as it was before. Don't put on the old man. It's going to hurt you. It's not going to help you. It's going to hurt you. Don't let those kind of things happen. My goal needs to be in part grace. The more that I make that my goal, that if I get before people, before I leave, I have imparted grace to them. If you, if you work towards that end, people will look forward to your arrival. They will look forward to your phone call. They will look forward to hearing from you in any way. Because every time I am with you, you impart grace to me. I feel good about things. This is our goal. This is what we need to have. Now some people, Christians, we're not talking unsaved people. We're talking Christians. They just have an agenda they just have a thing. I've got to get this point across. I've got to get you to understand this. And they don't care what kind of grace is going on. They're going to come in in the judgment of God. 
and the wrath of God. They're going to speak these things out. And that's why people won't receive from them. Make sure you get to the part of imparting of grace. That's the new man. The new man imparts grace. The old man, no. He imparts hurt. And then he goes on and throws this uh, in here. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The word there for, well, in the Greek it actually says, stop grieving the Holy Spirit. You read that in English, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. He may be just giving you a warning. Don't do this. No, he's saying, stop grieving the Holy Spirit. The word there for grieve is the Greek word lupeo. It means to make sorrowful, to affect with sadness, cause grief, to throw into sorrow, to grieve, offend, to make one uneasy. I pulled out a few examples of this. There are examples all through the Word of God on this. But here's a couple that, that you'll recognize. In Matthew 17, 23, Jesus is speaking about His death that is coming. And He says, And they will kill Him, and the third day He will rise up. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. But he was talking about dying and leaving them. And they became sorrowful, grieved. Matthew 18, 31. So when his fellow servants saw what he had done, speaking of the man who was forgiven the great debt, and he went out and, and insisted on the man with his little tiny debt, pay it, and threw him in prison when he couldn't. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved. Now put yourself in this situation. Have you ever seen somebody who had great things happen to them and go out and impose something on someone else? And you felt, oh, why did you do that? Didn't you just see what was done for you? You can feel that, that greed that was done. Matthew 19, 22. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Remember when Jesus said to him, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, come follow me. He, he was ready for him to say something great that he could do. And when he said this, he was sorrowful for he had great possessions. He wasn't ready to part with that. One more, Matthew 26, 22. And they were exceedingly sorrowful and each one began to say to him, Lord, is it I when he said that one of you will betray me? Verse 37, he jumped down a little bit further and he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. So there's a few examples of where you see this. He says, stop grieving the Holy Spirit. Stop causing that kind of grief. Stop causing that kind of sorrow to the Holy Spirit. In other words, by doing these things, you are grieving the Holy Spirit. There's a whole lot of people put interpretations on what grieving the Holy Spirit is. I heard uh, one, one person used to teach, you know, people would have a worship service and they were under the, gave the impression if we sang the wrong song, we would grieve the Holy Spirit and he'd leave. But that's not in here. He's not talking about singing the wrong song. He's talking about some very specific ways that we go and we take the old man and we put the old man on. Understand, when you put the old man on and act out of the old man instead of the new man that Jesus Christ died so that you could have, when you go and you pick up the old man, you grieve the Holy Spirit. You cause that kind of sorrow with the Holy Spirit. Now, who can do this? Well, people with the Holy Spirit living in them. You've got the Holy Spirit living in you, and you go and you embrace sins like he's listing here. Now, just about everything that he has listed in here involves the words that we speak. The words that you speak. Everything Paul speaks about in this section comes down to words that we speak. They either cause harm or they reveal bad attitudes in us. So the one thing that we, we can do to grieve the Holy Spirit 
is the words that you or I speak. The second thing is the judgments we render. When we render judgments apart from the Word, you see the Holy Spirit, He would guide us in the Word of God to help us make right judgments. He would speak wisdom to us to help us make right judgments. He has put attitudes in us to help us make right judgments. When we make wrong judgments, we turn our back on the Word. We turn our back on the wisdom that He would speak to us. That grieves the Holy Spirit. I don't want you making these wrong judgments. And here you go, making these wrong judgments and feeling justified in doing so. No. Don't be going in that direction. But it seems to be, we're going to see here in these next, this next verse, that beside these words and judgments, there also seem to be some attitudes that will grieve the Holy Spirit. Because he continues on here. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. This verse is talking about both sins of thought and of action. When I embrace bitterness, it doesn't just affect the words that I speak. It affects the attitude on the inside. It affects the thoughts that I have in my head. Now bitterness, going to the Greek word here, giving you the definition here of each one. Bitterness, an inner hatred of another a resentment. It is an inner hatred of another or a resentment. When I become bitter, inside is developing a hatred to that one. Now the Holy Spirit in us, what, what's supposed to be in us? The love of God. But I am, an, I am feeding a, a hatred that is developing a bitterness towards these people. And you see why that would grieve him? He's trying to bring this in and I'm out here bringing this in that is completely different from it. And the enemy feeds us with thoughts to tell us, well, you deserve to feel this. Look at what they did. Look at what they didn't do. Look at how they act. Look at how they didn't act. Look at what they said. Look at what they didn't say. Always trying to bring back to, to mind and stir up that bitterness that grieves the Holy Spirit. Second one is wrath. This is the word thumos. Different from organg. It is a violent outward display of anger, even bitterness. When you get into this, there is a violent outward display. Never seen somebody get so mad? Who's that? Uh, I, I never watched the show. I, I couldn't watch the show. I, couldn't, I have a hard time watching the commercials. But that uh, chef who gets on there is always yelling at people. Is that, what is it? Gordon Ramsay. Always yelling. You should show the commercial. He's always yelling at people. And then uh, they made a, a funny commercial about it where the three guys at the desk making phone calls about Tide. Mm, yeah. And then it works in cold water. water and they were doing, I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> but, but he's always mad at people. Everything that comes out of his mouth, it seems, is bitter. And I don't know if he does that in real life. He just does it for the show. But either way, that has an effect on you on the inside. It also has an effect on the people that you come in contest, contact with. But the man just always seems to be so upset. And I'm sure the commercials take the worst of it and they put that out there. Maybe the rest of the show, maybe there's actually some good that he does. I just see the, the commercials that, that pop up and he's just cussing people out and yelling at people and putting them down and no good. And That's what this word is describing. That that anger just rises up. There is a violent outward display of anger, even bitterness. The word here, anger, is orge. It means an inward hostility toward another, a settled feeling of anger. This is not one that you get so hot you just got to blow off the steam. You blow your lid, as they say. No, this one is it's simmering. It's on the inside. And it just stays constantly there. You know, if you use an example, 
If you put a pot of, of water on for pasta and you turn it up on high, because that's what you got to do to get that water hot, and it cuts to be boiling, and you put the pasta in there. If you leave it on high, what's going to happen? It always happens. The water is going to overflow. It's going to foam up, and it's, it's going to be a mess, and it's going to come out all over. That is thumas. Orge is when you take it and you turn it down and it just, it stays hot, it cooks it, but without it bubbling over, but it has an effect on the pasta. Now we want that effect there, but you don't want that effect always on you. This orge is the kind of anger that you can have and not sin, but you can also have it and sin. But it's an inward hostility toward another. A settled feeling of anger. Now, this word clamor, I, I read that in English. I have no idea really why they put that in there because you could read that so many different ways. I wrote in there for the, what the Greek word is, but it is an outward dis display of anger, a shouting. A couple of places where you'll see this, Acts 23 and 9, there arose a loud outcry. That's our word there. And the scribes of the Pharisees' party arose and protested, saying, We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. Hebrews 5 and 7, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. That word cries is our word. Revelations 14, 18. And another angel came out from the altar who had power over fire, and he cried with a loud voice, to him and the sharp sickle. Revelation 21.4 And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. That is what this word is, is using. When That word there for crying. Understand this word does not mean people won't experience sadness. What it is saying here is this particular word, this word for crying, is there will be no crying out. There will be no loud displays of crying out because of what causes causes this disruption. The uh, An outward display of anger, a shouting. There will not be those feelings that come up that cause an outward display or, or crying, so to speak. That's what that word clamor means. Evil speaking here, we get our word blaspheme from it. It is critical words of another that start as thoughts spoken out. Critical words of another that start as thoughts spoken out. If I'm going to get into this, this uh, type of evil speaking, first of all, my mind starts going. And I start to think wrong things. You know, somebody has said something and my mind begins to run with it. Well, they said this. If they did this, I'll bet you this is going on. I'll bet you this is happening. I'll bet you this over here. And then we begin to speak some of these things out with our mouth. So again, this verse. Let all bitterness, wrath, clamor, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. That's the intent. With all malice. When people get into this, they want harm to come. They want that person's reputation damaged. They want something to happen because they deserve it. They should get it. Verse 32, and be kind to one another. The Greek here actually reads it this way. Keep on becoming kind. Be, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Boy, what an example that is. And be kind, keep on becoming kind to one another. Tender-hearted. When you get this kind of, these actions that he talked about in these previous verse, this bitterness, this wrath, this anger, all these things, when they get to working on the inside, tender-hearted is not what's happening. We get in a hard heart. So he says, and be kind to one another or keep on becoming kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Have you ever felt like you have reached your limit and how much you can forgive a person? 
currently you have not. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. There's our example. As He forgave us, that's how we forgive others. How many times do you expect God to forgive you? Anybody ever put a limit on that? Anybody ever come to God in forgiveness? Well, let's see. This is like the 1,565th time that I've come to Him and asked for forgiveness. I wonder if I've hit my limit yet. And yet you've got your limit counter going and the person's at 20 and they're about done. Here's your example. Even as God in Christ forgave you, that's how we we're supposed to be doing it. Now, when he says keep on being kind, the idea here is that of abandoning one attitude and replacing it with another completely different. You've got to completely, totally eradicate the one attitude and replace it with this one. So all those other feelings do not motivate you to be kind. They motivate you to be anything but kind. You've got to take all that stuff out and remove it. And when you put on the new man, the new man is going to lead you in this way. He's going to lead you in a way to continue to keep on becoming kind. You are going to continue to be tender-hearted, becoming tender-hearted. You are going to continue to forgive one another. This is the way that you will go. You won't grieve the Holy Spirit, but the other way you will. Paul here portrays the condition of the newborn believer as having two natures in them. The fallen nature of the first Adam and the new nature of the second. And he has described the battle who is going to win out. So he gives us four examples of falling back into the old nature. There are more examples than this. He gives them four. These are four areas in which the church overall was having struggles. When you see these things coming up, just know the old nature is making its way. Now, as we study the Word, we should be on the lookout for other examples because there are other places that this can be shown for us. Stealing may not be an issue for you, but something else might be. So as you study the Word, as you read the Word, look out for other examples. Some of those other examples may be may be a little bit more uh, relatable in your life. Now, there are important reasons to not go back to the old man. I just gave you three here. I, don't know, I probably didn't write them in there. I probably ran out of room at the end. Did I run out of room at the end? All right. I didn't know. Three important reasons to not go back. First off, giving ground unless an opportunity to the devil against us. That's in there? All right. Giving ground and thus an opportunity to the devil against us. Don't give ground. Don't give an opportunity for the devil against you. That's one good reason right there to not go back to the old nature and to stay with the new. Second is grieving our best ally in the Holy Spirit. If you're going to make it in this world, he's the one who's going to help you. Don't get him upset. Don't grieve them. Go in such a way as to, to please the Holy Spirit. Third is projecting attitudes and actions that represent darkness instead of light. When I pick up the old man and those attitudes and that bitterness and that wrath and that anger and that clamor and that evil speaking and all that begins to become a part of me. I am projecting an image of darkness while I am proclaiming to be of the light. That should be a great motivation for us to not pick those things up. There is no one in this world that has the power to put you into these conditions of taking on the old man. There is not a single person in this world who has that power. But you have the power to put off the old man 
and to put on the new. Don't ever listen to the world that tells you, well, they just got you so mad, or they just did so much to you. That's not how God looks at it. That's not how Paul looks at it. You have the ability to put on the new man or to pick up the old. Which are you going to do? If you pick up the old, you're going to give ground and opportunity for the evil one. You're going to grieve your best ally in the Holy Spirit. And to the world, you will project attitudes and actions that represent darkness instead of the light that we're supposed to. We are supposed to be salt and light. But the enemy doesn't want that. He wants to alter that salt and that light. Don't let him do it. Father, if you told us that we can do something in your word, then we can do it. In your word, you told us through Paul that we can put off the old man. That we can put away these attitudes and these actions. This kind of talk. These words that form on the inside of us and even come out with our mouth. We can overcome. And I thank you that you help us to do it. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.